Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. Hey, we're continuing a series uh, called Rhythms of Grace. And I want to talk to a rhythm this morning that might surprise some of you that found its way into this series. We often think about rhythms and disciplines and reading our Bible and praying and a lot of those personal devotional spaces. But I want to speak about something that I think is a rhythm in our life already, or at least the the tools are in place for this to become a rhythm. We just haven't thought about it in a spiritual sense. And that is the rhythm of hospitality. Hospitality, when we think about it, it's like when we have someone over to our place for a meal. That is hospitality. But hospitality, in essence, isn't about food. It's about the way we treat people, we welcome people, we care for people, and we host people when they're in our space. Now, we live in a culture, though, where so often that is centred around food. So I want to suggest that through this series, we're going to look at some disciplines that for many of us, we're going to have to actually reorient or bring back into our life or start for the very first time. But I want to suggest that all of us, to some extent, have the crux of something already established as a rhythm in our life that we could see through different eyes and bring about this gift of hospitality. Because food is a big part of every one of our lives. And hospitality is way more than food. But food is a tool and a core ingredient that allows us to practice this gift and this rhythm. You know, in the past, the culture of sharing food was much greater. There was less things on after hours. Most families would be found around the meal table most nights. But with our busy lifestyles, a lot of this has been lost and food has gone from being about the centerpiece of community to being about fuel. Now, I'm always careful what stats that I quote because sometimes you're trying to dig in and find where the source of this came from. So I don't know if this is anecdotal or this is based on actual research, but I read an article this week that suggests that in America, one in five meals that people have is eaten in the car. Who ate a meal in this last week in their car? A number of us. See, many of us just kind of go through the drive-thru or pack something in our lunchbox and eat it on our way to something else. It's suggested that less than once a week, most families now gather for a meal around any kind of table and that up to 20% of people would eat at least one fast food meal every day. You see, the culture is changing, but I wonder whether there's a chance to look at our rhythms around food and see the way that we can reintroduce a sense of hospitality around that. Because hospitality isn't about food, but food is a doorway into community and relationship within our culture. You read it in the news all the time that when people come together, they often say, you know, we came together and we gathered and we built community. Or when there's been an issue and there's been a tearing apart of relationship, what's the thing that brings people back together? The statement of our culture is we broke bread together. Or in the Aussie culture, you hear footballers that have had decade-long grudges saying it's all good, we shared a beer together. See, there's something about gathering around food that actually brings us together. It's deeper than just fuel. It's about community. So how can we find new meaning and intentionality in what, for many of us, is an already established rhythm? And why does this matter? Well, the, the Bible gives a very, very simple command. Romans 12, verse 13 the second part of it, just two words. The author says this to the people of faith, practice hospitality. 
Practice hospitality. Don't you love it when the commands of Scripture are really simple and don't need a lot of interpretation or digging into to understand? But it says to people of faith that we should learn to practice hospitality. And I want to suggest that hospitality is something that is found deeply embedded in the Scripture more than most of us would be aware of. So let me just take a few moments today to give us a little bit of a biblical snapshot as to the use, the practice, and the power of hospitality. Let's go right back to the very beginning, to the ancient culture of the Near East at the time of Abraham. Because hospitality in the ancient world was a big deal. Actually, hospitality was a matter of life and death. We don't think of hospitality as being a matter of life and death, but in the ancient world, it was a matter of life and death. And so scattered right throughout the scripture is this expectation around hospitality because it was something, there was a hospitality code that governed the way that people treated and welcomed one another. I want to take you to a bit of an odd story just to make this point, but if you go back to the very first book of the scriptures in Genesis chapter 18, let me just read of this slightly strange encounter with Abram. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. And Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. And when he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and he bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought and then you may all wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way. Now that you have come to your servant, very well they answered, do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three sars of flour, of the finest flour, and knead it and bake some bread. Then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. He then brought some curds of milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. And when they ate, he stood near them under a tree. It's just an odd story with a lot of detail, but it gives us an insight into the hospitality code of the ancient Near East because, you see, Abraham does some weird things. He's just sitting at the entrance of his tent. He sees three strangers, people he doesn't know, no history, no family, no backstory, but it says he races out to them, bows low to them, and then goes all out to care for them, feed them, give them food and drink. Why is this the case? I don't want to dig into the meeting of the passage or why it's in the scripture, but I just want to look at some of the cultural things that it teaches us. Because hospitality was an incredibly powerful ancient custom. The hospitality code that existed was taken very seriously and to break it meant dire consequences. There was great significance to those that didn't live by the ancient hospitality code. And why is that? Because when we encounter Abraham and his people, we encounter a nomadic people. They wandered from place to place with their tents and their herds. They moved their place of residence regularly. And so if someone from your family group got separated, the only thing that you could hope for for their safety and protection and the necessities of their life was the hospitality of others. So hospitality really mattered to a nomadic people. And the hospitality code of the ancient world existed of three things. And I want us just to just let these sit in your brain for a minute. The hospitality code was all about welcome. When you welcome someone, when Abraham goes out to meet the visitors and bows to them and invites them to be part 
of the community and the space that he had established, he welcomes them and says, I am glad that you are here. See, when we welcome somebody, we say something powerful to them about our sense of their presence. Like if someone comes to my house, I don't just open the door and go, work it out for yourself. I take great care to let them know that I am glad that they were here. And in the ancient world, the hospitality code spoke to the welcome that you gave to a stranger. But more than that, it was also a statement of protection. While ever you are with us, you are wrapped into the safety of this family or community that is hosting you. In other words, when someone was wandering into your area and you welcomed them in, you said to them, while ever you're here, you're safe. Whatever you hear, you live under our protection. But more than that, when you welcome them in, you said, okay, there is no hostility between us. So the ancient hospitality code existed of these three things, welcome, protection, and the absence of hostility. And if you read the scriptures, you find this dotted all throughout in the way people treated one another, greeted one another, and welcomed them into their community. You see, hospitality is a big deal. We don't think of it spiritually, but it's more deeply spiritual than many of us give it credit for. Let me now fast forward to the world and the time of Jesus. Because all of those things come forward with Jesus. That hospitality says to someone, you're welcome, you're protected, and there is no hostility between us. And Jesus employs this in his relationship with people. Actually, in the life of Jesus, the hospitality he shows to others is a statement, a visible statement of his acceptance of them. When Jesus sits and reclines at someone's table or invites himself to their house, when he sees a tax collector that was hated by the community sitting in a tree and he looks at that man Zacchaeus and says, Zacchaeus, get out out of the tree. We're going to your house for a meal tonight. Jesus, in his very statement of hospitality, says to Zacchaeus, as you open your house to me, I'll let you know that I welcome you in my presence, that I protect you, and that there is no hostility between us. See, Jesus made a statement to the world in the way he sat around tables and ate with people about what God thinks about the lonely, the broken, the sinful, the outcast, by the simple act of those that he chose to eat with. You do not understand the power of the statement that is made in those that you choose to eat with. Let me give an example. Luke 7, verse 44 says this. Jesus has been invited, it says earlier in Luke 7, to go and have a meal at a Pharisee's house. And he accepts the invitation and he goes and he reclines at the table. And they have this debate about theology and scripture and God and all of this stuff. But in the middle of the meal, it says that a sinful woman, someone came in, and breaks a jar of perfume and starts to anoint Jesus' feet. I mean, this is an awkward moment. If that happened at my house, I'd feel very awkward. I don't like strangers touching my feet. But someone comes into the meal and starts to anoint Jesus' feet with her hair. But Jesus says to this, this to her. It says he turned toward the woman because the Pharisees look down on this and they start kind of muttering about what Jesus is doing and what kind of... A statement he's making. And Jesus says this to the woman. He turned towards the woman. He said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. 
but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Now again, a little bit of a cultural insight. If you come to my house, I'm not going to wash your feet. But in the dusty, ancient Palestinian landscape, when people came to your house for dinner, what was the thing that probably needed to be washed before they reclined at a low table where most people would be able to see your feet? Your feet. So a standard act of welcoming someone into your residence usually was to have a slave or a servant wash the guest's feet. Well, Jesus says, I turned up to your house, you didn't wash my feet. But she's come in and not only washed my feet, but she's lavished upon me this expensive ointment to do it with. Jesus then goes on, he said, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Again, when someone came to your house, it was very standard that you would greet them with a kiss. If you come to my house, I won't kiss you. I might give you a fist pump or a handshake, or if I know you really well, you might get a hug. But in the ancient world, it was standard to greet someone, to say to someone at the door as they entered your house, welcome, and to greet them with a kiss. And Jesus says to the Pharisee, you did not give me a kiss, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. He then goes on to say, you did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Again, a standard practice would be to anoint someone's head with oil, like so they smell half decent and refreshes them before the meal. The Pharisee neglects basic hospitality to Jesus, but this sinful lady goes all out in her welcome of him. So then Jesus says this to her, Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown, but whoever has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, Your sins are forgiven. A very, very simple story about the neglect of hospitality and the lavish hospitality given to Jesus by a sinful lady. But Jesus, in his very reception of her presence and of her welcome, says to her, You're accepted. I just want to give a challenge to us as a church this morning. Because in the story of Simon, we see that Jesus got invited to a meal. He got invited to someone's house, but it wasn't a great experience because of the welcome, the care, and the concern that was shown to him by the host of the party. And I want to say to all of us corporately this morning that hospitality always goes beyond food and presence. Because Jesus wasn't welcomed at this dinner party with great hospitality even though he was there eating the food of a Pharisee in his home. And so what's it mean for us? How we welcome matters. We have a hospitality team here. Kylie Hins, wherever she's hiding, give us a wave, Kylie. Kylie at the back somewhere, on the side here. Kylie heads up our hospitality team. And the majority of what they do is look after us eating really well around really key celebrations and events at our church. But I want to suggest that our hospitality team goes well beyond just Kylie and the team that she's gathered that puts on our events. I want to suggest that everybody that stands at our front door in a blue shirt that says welcome is part of our hospitality team. Why? Because the way we greet people into our space really matters. I want to suggest that everyone that turns up here before church and sets up chairs and organises this space really is exercising the gift of hospitality. Why? Because the way we set up our space to say to people that are new that we want you here and we're expecting you really matters. If you come to my house for dinner, you should see the scramble in our household of getting everybody to move their clothes that they've dropped on the floor and tidy up their bedrooms and sweep off the patio and clear the kitchen and empty the dishwasher. Anyone else's house going to mad panic anytime someone's coming over? 
See, we don't welcome people into our house and they walk in and the beds are unmade and there's clothes on the floor and there's mess everywhere. Why? Because it says to people, we weren't expecting you. And so when we set up our space and put time into our environment, you know what it says to someone that might be walking in here wondering whether this is the place that they're welcome to be? We were welcoming. We're expecting you. We're really glad you're here. I don't have a toilet sign there because if you've been here three minutes, you need the toilet sign. But if it's your first Sunday, we want to let you know that we care enough that you're here, that we're going to do everything in our power to help you feel orientated and welcome in our space. You see, whether you're on a setup team, whether you care about the environment, whether you serve food, whether you organize events, or whether you stand at the door in a blue welcome shirt, you're all part of exercising this powerful gift of hospitality that says to people, we're glad you're here. We want to welcome you into our house, into our space, and help you feel at home. Everybody else thinks, great, I'm not on the welcome team, I'm not on the hospitality team, I'm not on the setup team. Well, you don't get out of it either. Because if you have been here longer than about five minutes, I want to invite you into the space that God would have us be in as a church, which is to always be a space that's ready to welcome anyone that's new, anyone that's lost, anyone that wants to find a place where maybe God can meet them and speak into their story. And if you've been here 10 years, you've probably heard this talk 10 times over. Because I think I give it every year and I'll continue to give it every year because it's one of the things that really, really matters to us about how we welcome people. Because the way we welcome people might just be the thing that makes a difference to what God wants to do in their life. It might be the difference between them becoming part of a community or not. So many of you that I've spoken to when you walked in here the first time can remember the person that welcomed you and made you feel at ease about being here. Well, we've all got a responsibility. When I say we all, let me talk to anyone that's been here longer than about three months. We've all got a responsibility to help create that space for those that are yet to walk through our door. Because we don't know what that one interaction that might cost us five minutes of our time might mean for someone's faith walk into the future. It might be the very thing that communicates to someone this morning or next week or in three months' time that this is a church that's really glad that you're here. So I want to invite all of us to don the virtual blue shirt of welcome and see that this is not something that you know, we opt in and out of, but all of us have the opportunity to create a place where the hospitality we show to those that start as our guests and over time become part of the family starts with you. We might not know that that one moment on a Sunday morning might be the thing that opens someone's heart to hearing the good news. I, I, I probably attract this conversation more than most of us because of my job as a pastor. It's usually the third thing you get asked. What do you do? I'm a pastor. Oh, couldn't go to church. The roof's going to fall in on me. No, the way we welcome people might be just the very thing that transforms people's stereotypes about the church. It might be the very thing that helps someone find their place amongst a group of others who too are broken in the process of being transformed. Because I hear that regularly too. I went there, but everyone looks like they've got their lives together. If you've really got your life together and there's nothing going on that's not great, I'd love to talk to you because we, we really need your wisdom and your help. But 
If you're here and thinking that everyone in this place has got their life together, I want to welcome you to a community of broken people that are in the process of being transformed by the grace of God. Because I don't want to suggest that many of us have got it all together. That there's always something that Jesus is in his business of working on and fixing. And many of us are walking through financial stress and relationship stress and doubt and pain and physical pain. But we're not here because we've got it together. We're here because we believe in the grace of the big God that actually wants to do something good in us and transform us day by day. So if you feel like a misfit, welcome to the community of misfits. You are really, really welcome here. So church, here's my challenge if you've been here for more than a few minutes. How can we corporately practice hospitality each and every week? Notice the guest, care for the guest, and help the guest recognise that they're invited not just to be someone that visits, but someone that becomes part of a community and a family. That's exactly what Jesus did through his actions. In the simple action of visiting people in their homes, sharing meals with them, reclining at their table, sharing stories, laughing, and gathering in that space, Jesus, God himself, said to people, I accept you. I'm glad that I'm with you. I want to be in your presence and I want you to feel comfortable with me, uh, with me being in your presence. That was the life and the ministry of Jesus. Let me move on, quick snapshot into the early church. Because we've talked a lot about the power of hospitality and what it says to others, but I want to ask whether hospitality is actually a practice that is beneficial for us. And if you read of the early church, it just gives a quick snapshot and a few verses of what life was like for them. Acts 2 verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. In other words, they spent a lot of time together. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with sincere and glad hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. I don't get a picture of a church that just went out and did evangelistic crusades and just kind of recluse back to their own spaces. I get the picture of a community of people that just did life together in their homes, eating together, telling stories, sharing, praying, supporting, encouraging. And the Lord added number daily, those who were being saved. You see, hospitality is not just something that we should build as a rhythm in our life because it's good for others. It's actually good for you. I read an article this week and this was the heading. The importance of eating together. Family dinners build relationships and help kids do better in school. Kind of got my attention. I said to Chrissy last night, this is going to be a challenge to me because our life has got so busy, we've lost the rhythm of sitting together at the table. I I just want to read you this article, okay? Don't get too caught up on the content, but this was a little bit stark and, and confronting for me. The author says this, children who do not eat together with their parents at least twice a week were 40% more likely to be overweight compared to those who do, as outlined in research given at a European Congress on Obesity in Bulgaria. On the contrary, children who do eat dinner with their parents five or more days a week have less trouble with drugs and alcohol, eat healthier, show better academic performance and report being closer to their parents than children who do not. 
It then goes on and other articles go on to suggest that eating together combats loneliness, builds empathy, increases better moods, helps better nutrition happen in family. Like I'm challenged by this very simple act that for many of us has been lost in the busyness of life. Now, these articles weren't written by Christian authors, but sometimes God actually knows what he's doing, doesn't he? And it actually starts to pervade popular thinking. See, what do we do when we're not doing so well in life? We isolate ourselves. But what if it's actually the care, concern, and the community that we build with others that is part of the roadmap to our own healing and health? See, the early church gathered together in community regularly. And as they were doing that, God did great things in their midst. But we just look at all the miracles that happened. I wonder whether sometimes we just read past the fact that they were committed to building community life and doing it well. You see, hospitality isn't just good for others. It's really good for you. And so finally, I'm going to get the band to come up and join me. What do we do with that today? See, in an ancient culture and throughout the scriptures, we see that hospitality was at times a matter of life or death. You were dependent on the hospitality of others for your own well-being and protection. In a nomadic culture, in a culture where people often lived surrounded by desert, if you didn't receive hospitality and care and welcome from others, it was a matter of life or death. Jesus takes that further and through his own life and ministry uses hospitality as a way to show others that they are accepted by God. In the early church, hospitality was vital to the building of community. What's it mean for us? I want to suggest all of the above. And then add to that an opportunity we have. Your ancient culture was a nomadic culture in many parts of the world. I just want to suggest that maybe our culture is just as nomadic, not in the desert tents and animal sense, but in the transient nature of people, families and relationships. Where there's a lot of people wandering around our world and our culture and our streets that don't have anywhere to base themselves. What opportunity does this mean for us as a church in the way we welcome those that are looking for a place where they too are welcomed, cared for, protected and known they are loved by God? As we minister to broken families, to people that feel devalued, those that have lost their jobs or have failed at all the dreams and goals they had for their future, those that are sick, those that are isolated, those that are lonely, those searching for acceptance, those with no self-image, those that have a picture of a vengeful God. I wonder whether this very ancient practice could actually take greater weight than sometimes we give it credit for. That hospitality isn't just something that sits on the fringe of what we do as a good idea because we like getting together and eating and celebrating and doing all those things, but whether it actually could be part of the center of the mission that God has for us in a culture where loneliness has become epidemic, isolation, more people kind of report being isolated than ever before, people are distant from their families. I wonder whether God gives us this ancient tool to again use to bring life and hope into people's lives. You've all got a rhythm that already exists around food. Most of us probably eat three meals of significance every day, if not more. Most of us have spaces where we do it, and sometimes it is just for fuel, but I wonder whether God could already take something that's a rhythm in your life and build some intention in it 
to use for the building of his kingdom, his glory, and in ministering to others. So here's four practical challenges about how to bring this rhythm back into your life. I wonder whether this week you need to sit down with those in your household and have a conversation about what it looks like to have a regular rhythm of eating together and communing around food. Sharing stories, sharing laughs, sharing burdens, caring for one another, listening to one another, understanding what's going on for one another. What would it look like if you're doing nothing now just once a week together as a family or as a household and to eat with those and do life together? I wonder for those that kind of work in a community workplace, what it would be for you to actually dedicate one day a week to make sure that you take your lunch break and sit with those that God has put around you in your workplace and to do life together, to share food, share stories, to share life. We as a staff team at Gateway years ago used to uh, regularly gather for half an hour over lunch and just sit at a long table. Then our team got big and we added campuses and geography became an issue and we lost the value. But so many of our younger staff started to say, you don't know how much grief we have at the loss of that time, just sitting around, doing life together, not talking about work, not talking about the next deadline, not talking about the next task, but just sharing stories of life and family, of joy, of heartache. And so we intentionally created a space once a week where we now encourage all of our staff to make a priority around that lunch hour. See, it's easy to think that, man, that's just not productive, but I wonder if sometimes the most productive time is when people know they're cared for, valued, and listened to, and whether all the other hours that surround that are going to be better because of the one hour spent sitting around a table with those that God's put in your world. So what's it look like for you to to eat with those in your household? What's it look like for you to eat with those in your workplace? What's it look like when you walk into this space to walk in and to don the virtual blue shirt? Recognize that we have a welcome team that does an incredible function for us, but every one of us that calls this place home has a role to play in showing lavish hospitality to anyone that becomes our guest here. Because we don't want people to feel like guests for long. If you're here and you're still checking us out or you're really new or today's your first Sunday, we want to make sure that you know that we're glad you're here. Because we are. I hope that your experience of this community of people is that. But we, we don't want you to feel like a guest for long. I've got a few friends that are comfortable to walk into my house and help themselves to my fridge. We want to get you to the point where you feel really comfortable to walk into this church and essentially help yourself to our fridge. You get drinks for a dollar, by the way, just to... So maybe the challenge for you right now is just to walk across the room. To say g'day to someone that you didn't come with and maybe that's going to push you right out of your comfort zone, but I guarantee you I've heard story after story after story of people who have rediscovered faith in Jesus because somebody went out of their way to let them know that they were welcome. It's a deeply spiritual act every time you walk into this room. And finally, and probably a bigger challenge for many of us, what does it look like to find spaces in your calendar where you open your home to show hospitality to others? There you go, church, four practical challenges. Eat with those in your household, eat with those in your workplace, walk across the room on a Sunday and open your home to show hospitality to others. It's a great rhythm. Like if we're going to talk about great rhythms to employ in your life, hospitality's got to be up there with some of the best. What's it look like for you to redeem this in your story?
Hey God, I want to thank you that when you clothed yourself in humanity and walked amongst people, that you didn't just stand on a soapbox and preach at them. You walked into their houses, you reclined at their table, you shared food, you shared laughter, you shared stories. And in doing so, we all got the picture of a God that desperately desires relationship. A God that desperately desires to let every single one of us know that we are welcome in your presence. And Lord, as we read the scriptures, we see one day that one of the great pictures of eternity is sitting at a banquet table that you've prepared for us. It's a picture of sitting around a table, sharing food, sharing stories, sharing laughter. And God, that is the picture of who you are. You welcome us into your presence. You let us know that you desire for us to know your grace and your acceptance. God, I want to pray that we would not see that as something secondary to a life, a spiritual life that many of us chase after God, but we would see embedded squarely in the sense of what it is to be spiritual people is this gift and this practice of hospitality. May we be ever increasing in our welcome, be ever increasing in our care and concern for others and be ever willing to build community as we gather together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, often we finish our services with the opportunity for prayer and I want you to know that anytime you walk into church carrying a burden and you don't know where to take that and you would like prayer, that always exists at the end of our service. You just want to wander forward. One of our team would just love to stand with you and just lift up whatever it is. But out of today's message, it's actually, a, I don't want to just, I want to land with something you've got to take away. So take one of those four challenges or take four of those challenges and ask yourself the question, what do I need to change in my diary or my thinking to make that happen? For some of you, it's going to be a conversation with your family in the car on the way home. For some of you, it's going to be something that right now you're going to be challenged in as you stand up, as we head to the back, that you're going to actually go, okay, I can go and say good day to that person that I don't know. I promise you'll be okay. Let's jump on our feet. We're just going to sing out a chorus just to, to finish today, just to tell God how good he is. And then let's go and share a coffee with each other and uh, let someone know that you've noticed them and that you're glad they're part of this space. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 